Welcome, foolish mortals, to the Halloween edition of the Coaster Challenge Podcast. <laughs> and here are your hosts, David Cantu, Jenna Gazelle. Hey, how's it going, Jenna? Great, how's it going, Dave? It's going good, going good. It's that time of year. It is Halloween. And boy, is it going to be an epic holiday season this Halloween. Boy, the parks really have got a lot going on this season, Jen. I know, with them being closed last last year because of the pandemic, it gave them time to plan. Boy, were they planning. In fact, we've got a very, very special treat for all of you guys out there today. We're going to be kicking off this Halloween season with our very, very special guest today. We've got Jeff Tucker, who is with Knott's Berry Farm. He is one of the people that does all the shows and stuff for Not Scary Farm. And Andrew is standing by with him today and he's got quite an incredible story. He's been with Knott's Berry Farm for almost 30 years, Jen. And he's been doing Knott's Scary Farm all that time. I know. It, uh, oh, man. I can't wait. Oh, it's going to be a really fun season, guys. I hope you guys are all going to have a fun and make sure to go visit all the, the, the Horror Nights and Fright Fest and Not Scary Farm if you're out here in California. Definitely, I definitely like to share with everybody, but the entire Coaster Challenge team will be in California this month. Uh, we will be at Not Scary Farm on its opening night, or its opening weekend, I should say. But we will be there, I believe it is, what, the 18th? 18th. Yep. 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 The 18th. So the entire Coaster Challenge team will be in California that weekend, but we will be kicking off at Not Scary Farm, and then we will be at Disneyland on the 19th. So if you guys happen to be want to meet us, we'll be at the Disneyland Resort also this Sunday. 19th. We'll 19th. also be there on Friday. Yeah. Too. So yeah, Friday. So yeah. So if you guys are happen to be in the area, make sure to come hit us up. We'll definitely uh, be keeping everybody posted on our social media platforms. Well, we got Andrew standing by with Jeff Tucker. Jen, but first, we are going to do a very special Halloween version of the YouTube Highlight, highlight Clip, Clip of, of the Week. It's the YouTube Highlight Clip of the Week Halloween Edition. <laughs> Alright, so since Jeff Tucker is on the show today, I thought Jen and I thought it would be a really fun discussion on talking about this week's YouTube highlight clip of the week. We are going to be talking a little bit about Not Scary Farm. Now, Jen, have you experienced mm, Not Scary Farm? No, the Saturday, that, the Saturday will be the first time. Oh, you're I'm going to be. I'm a little nervous. Oh, <laughs> well, I, I, my deepest sympathies, I know how you feel because I used to be that way many years ago. Much as uh, I was somebody who was deeply afraid to get on coasters and stuff, but uh, I will tell you guys, Halloween events were not, I was not very good. I was like with how Jen was. I was very scared. I, I would go to the events. I've always gone to Not Scary Farm, but I've never gone into mazes. I was like, it was not until 2019 when I finally got to start getting the courage to go into the mazes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I've been through one maze at one of the other parks, and I was kind of forced into it, so I don't know how I feel about going to this one. <laughs> well, at least you got I'm your nervous. boyfriend, you got your boyfriend going to be with oh, you. Oh yeah, Mike's so great at not scaring people. He's so supportive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he'll, yeah? be, he'll be the one that's going to be scaring all of, trying to scare all of us or trying to cohort the people to scare us. I can already see it. 
Well, I know that Andrew, who's uh, who's standing with Jeff today, uh, he's excited. He's a big Haunt fan. I love Halloween. I love decorating for myself, but I will tell you, Not Scary Farm is probably is most is probably one of the most unique haunt events because this is not a family friendly event guys this is something i don't recommend anybody under 12 should be going to this event this is really an adult function event there is no safe zone at knott's berry farm the whole park is a scare zone especially when you go through ghost town when you go through ghost town it is so deep fog when you're going through ghost town you cannot see anything in front of you and i remember one time i went through there and i literally had a zombie face come right up to my face through the fog and that scared the living daylights out of me Okay, not helping. <laughs> but I will tell you that it is fun. You will definitely get some sort of encounters. I will say, I think the greatest one I saw. So I was over by Silver Bullet. I was taking a, I was having a soda and stuff. I was just sitting down in a, in a rest area. And I was watching this group of guys. They were like, I think that these guys were like probably older teens. They were probably like 17, 18, 19 years old. There was probably about 20 of them. They were all in a group together and they were all bundled up together. Well, apparently one of the scare actors managed to blend himself in that group where they had no idea because it's really dark through that area and then all of a sudden the guy managed to get in the center of the group and all of a sudden he just gave off this huge firecracker sound and you just saw the entire group just disperse in all directions they like took off running like they're not together they were like total disperse and ran throughout different areas of the park and i just started laughing my head off because i thought that was brilliant i like to know how that scare actor was able to blend himself in the group and they didn't even pay attention to that right but i will tell you not scary farm it's opening ceremonies are some of the greatest opening ceremonies i've ever seen i'll never forget the 2013 opening that they had a long time ago where they literally picked up a woman and carried her into the park with all the zombies and stuff and they made it look like they ripped her to shreds before they opened the gates to the public they've done like all different types like they even had one where a witch came rising up by the water tower of Knott's Berry Farm and they were just like had incredible themes and everything I'm really looking forward to seeing what they have in store this year well from what I've seen in the ads there's something about roaring 20s which that's what's kind of piqued my interest because I kind of want to see like what they're what the areas are going to be yeah i'm really curious myself like i said i'm not a big maze person but i will say i will be going through the mazes at least once i'm pretty sure my correspondence team will be happy to share down the road but i will tell you guys we're going to be putting in the show notes this incredible link of the 2019 opening ceremony of not scary farm it's definitely really worth to watch make sure to check it out but this was a really good halloween version of the youtube highlight Highlight clip clip of of the the week it's the youtube Highlight of the week, Halloween edition. All right, so Andrew is standing by with our special guest today. We've got Jeff Tucker from Knott's Berry Farm. He's got an incredible story to share with all of you guys when it comes to haunts and Knott's Berry Farm. It's going to be a very incredible interview, so take it away, Andrew. Thank you, David and Jenna. This is Andrew, one of the producers of the Coaster Challenge podcast. Today, I have a very special guest we're going to be talking with. So I currently live in Florida, as many of our audience members know from the stories I've told in previous episodes. But I've not always lived in Florida. I used to live in Southern California, actually Northern California previously as well. But for quite some time now, I had lived in Southern California and had called some amazing theme parks, if you will, the West Coast theme park capital, places like Disneyland, Magic Mountain, Universal Hollywood, SeaWorld San Diego, and one more park as my home parks. And that other park 
is Knott's Berry Farm, which is a charming historic theme park that's been around, one of the oldest theme parks in the country, older than Disneyland. In fact, many people don't realize. I love going there. They have some of the most incredible special events, one of my favorite special events at any theme park anywhere. And so I'm very excited today to be talking to Jeff Tucker from Knott's Berry Farm. Welcome to the podcast, Jeff. Hey, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me on the show. We are we are delighted to have you. Thank you so much. We appreciate your time. I've already uh, kind of let the cat out of the bag, Jeff, but uh, why don't you tell us about yourself, first of all, and also tell us um, what you do in the theme park industry. Obviously, you work with Knott's and anything else you might do that's connected. Well, I work at Knott's Berry Farm. I'm there 364 days a year, practically. We're only closed on Christmas. I, I started there in 1994. I had just left a job at the mall. I worked at Spencer Gifts selling novelties and toys. I was looking for something fun to do for the summer. And like a lot of people who are in, who have my story at Knott's Berry Farm, we were only going to work there until something else opened up. And then you find out how great the place is and how much it's a family affair. And when I started, the Knott family was actually still running the park. I became this sort of go-to guy at the park. I did a million different jobs on property. I was a tour guide. I was a clerk. I worked in Sad Eye Joe as the voice of this dummy in the jail. I have been the storyteller in Mystery Lodge. And then I moved into management and have worked my way up. And now I'm currently the show writer at Knott's Berry Farm. There's a few of us. And we basically write every show that you see there. We work on shows year round. We always are working on a million different projects at once. I've, I've had the fortune of being in the right place at the right time. And I've been, I've spearheaded some amazing projects with some amazing teams. Uh, I did a couple of shows in the Mystery Lodge where we used the Holovision effect to scare people during Scary Farm. We did Unearthed in, and Possessed. Possessed was great because it involved my daughter uh, as a ghost scaring people, which was so much fun. I've trained monsters how to be scary. They've trained me how to be scarier. I, were, I created and worked on Trapped, which was an upcharge maze at the park that was sort of way at the beginning of the escape room phenomenon and was really weird to see it spread like wildfire. A bunch of people had come up with these ideas at the same time and they sort of got refined and improved on and a formula was created, but it was great to, to be at the early stage of that. We weren't the first, but we were a big scale version of it. I have enjoyed every minute I've worked at Knott's Berry Farm, every hour at Knott's Scary Farm. I've done it all. I have been the, uh, the Twitter guy, the Facebook guy, uh, I write packaging for the park. If you buy something and it says like a little blurb about Knott's, I write that. You name it, and I have done it at Knott's Berry Farm. That is so cool, and 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 you know, I know that you've been so involved there for a long time now. From uh, I've, I've heard you in interviews and other podcasts, and big podcasts I'm a fan of, like certainly uh, Season Pass, for example, is a big one with Doug Barnes. Yeah, those are and, great guys. Oh yeah, Doug is awesome. Doug, yeah, the, Robert, yeah, the, yeah, they're all great. Yeah, just great senses of humor and just really just treasure troves of, of theme park stories and great, great interviewers too. So, I, you know, I've, I've learned more and more about you over time. And, you know, as we were talking before we started recording, I've, as I've talked about with our audience before, I have been to not scary farm many times. And the last time was in 2017 before I moved out here in Florida at the Mice Chat event that they do there one night a year. And where, you know, there's all sort of special behind the scenes going to see this and the mazes blow in the daylight before they're open to the public and then going to Mrs. Knott's restaurant. And that's where you and some of the other, other folks that are involved kind of talk about what you've done that year, some special new things and new mazes and whatnot. So I remember that, remember listening to you there and 
But yeah, I just, you know, with how much you've been involved with the park and the storytelling, which is a huge, probably the most important aspect to a theme park, any attraction or event is the storytelling, which really sets the scene for everything. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm really looking forward to having our discussion here today. Yeah, so thank we, you. Yeah. Th there was a moment when we did Possessed where it takes, it took place at the Mystery Lodge Theater and we made a video that we played before the show where we talked about the history of the land and how we said that Knott'sbury Farm used to be a real farm and it was on farmland and we showed pictures of farms and then we showed a dilapidated house where this family lived and where there was a murder and the little girl was this possessed little kid. And we had people in the public and who worked there who said, you know, I never knew that story. And I, would, <laughs> and I just let, look at him and say, well, those were Google images. That, that didn't really happen. Did that happen? <laughs> and it does, it does tell you the importance of the story to yeah. the attraction. It's not just what is it? It's what is it? It's a different tone. Yeah. The best stories that are when they're fictitious stories are ones that are people that are so well told, whether it be this, what the story is itself, how it's told, the acting, special effects, the narrative, whatever it may be, yeah. where it all comes together. And if it does come together in a great, as a great story, cohesive and organic, where people think it actually is true in a scenario like that, yeah. then you've well, done your job. <laughs> I learned that on Possessed, and then it was reinforced a year later on Trapped, because on the, the third year of Trapped, when the guests made it to the second room, they encountered a guest who was lost in the maze. And she would oh. say, you know, I, I, my boyfriend and I were in here, and we got separated, because we're going to talk about fear. But one of the biggest fears people have in a scary attraction is getting separated and not right. being there with your significant other, your friend, whatever it is for that support. We preyed upon that. But I, to me, it was so obvious that it, they worked for us. They were a plant. They were obvious. No, 99% uh, of people bought it hook, line, and sinker that it was a real guest lost in the maze. And I I just thought that was amazing. That's incredible. That I So, uh, just, and, and again, this is, we're, we're going to go off on tangents. We do that in this mm -hmm. podcast. Any good conversation goes on tangents. I'm also good at usually pretty good about bringing things back from tangents back on. So we're going to talk more about hunts later, but just out of curiosity, this trapped uh, maze. So what years did you guys do it? Uh, uh, this 12, upcharge? 12, 13, 14. Okay. Cause that was back. I was living in Northern California for most of that time. That's why I never got to see that. Cause I love escape rooms. So that's, that's fascinating. Wow. That's really cool. The, the best compliment I got was, on year three, I promised people that it would be a, a pretty significant time that you'd be in the maze. Doug and Brent and Robert came through. They recorded it, the audio of it. And afterwards, Doug comes to me and he says, look, Jeff, I, I'm kind of embarrassed that we went through and it was like 10 minutes. And I don't know if I can, what am I going to tell people? And I said, <laughs> I said, Doug, check the tape. Are you kidding? Check the tape. And you ever seen Contact with Jody Foster? Yes, I was just thinking where, of that. Yeah. Where they go, check the tape. Right. And uh, uh, we were in there 27 minutes and he had no concept that it had been that long. And oh. I said, that's how we know we were doing a good job. You were so into it. You lost track of time. You were in that stressful situation for nearly 30 minutes. And I said, I think I've, we've done our job here. Yeah. Cause yeah, in a, in a situation like that where you're so, in, and it, it could be a fun thing, 
an mm -hmm. entertaining thing like that. It could be a test or something, you know, it could be something really stressful. If it's really taking up your, your attention and immersing you in whatever it is, the That's time, the yeah, the time goes by, you know, your, your perception of time is very distorted. And it, it oftentimes is a longer period than what you thought it was because the intensity and how focused you are. That's that's a crazy story. Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. Before we, I, I'm, you know, again, I've already made it clear. I'm very excited to talk to you a lot about the things you've done with knots and everything, and, and uh, especially here now that we're in haunt season and a fear is is, is a paramount to that, and we'll, we'll get to that. But before we get to that, we always take our guests on our theme park time machine. And, you know, you are no different in that regard because obviously you're a theme park fan. You're not just a, a, a person who creates content and creates these amazing experiences. So I want to want to take you through some of our typical questions, at least a few of them. Tell me, what was your first theme park attraction you remember experiencing? Okay, so... I, I racked my brain because the first one that always comes to mind for my generation is Haunted Mansion. But we, we couldn't afford to go to Disneyland a lot when I was a kid. It was very expensive. It so, still is. Yeah. 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 Well, it's even more now, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Instead of taking your kids, it costs a kid. People don't know that. <laughs> the first theme park attraction that made an impression on me was the Magic Pagoda ride at Six Flags, Magic Mountain. Magic Pagoda, I've heard of yeah. this ride. I don't think I've ever been on it. it was what, this, what is that ride? It was this nonsensical, non-linear dark ride through optical illusions. It had mirrors and strobes. And guess what? No footage exists of it. No photos, very few exist of it. So it's one of those things that's just lost to time. And I remember as a kid just being entranced by it. And when I went back to Magic Mountain as a teen, trying to explain, like, where's that thing that does the, and they have no idea what you're talking about. It, it's the same phenomenon at Knott's now when people ask about the Haunted Jack. They go, you know, that crooked house? And I go, yeah, it left in 2000, 2001. It's gone. Gotcha. Right. Okay. Interesting. Well, that's that's fascinating. And you were talking about the Mystery Lodger, or you mentioned the Haunted Mansion. So I am not an artist. Um, I, I don't have the artist brain. I'm an engineer. I'm that. I'm the science kind of side of things. Even as an engineer and being, you know, very much a fan of science and STEM in general, I am a huge appreciator of the arts, performing arts, plays, musicals, movies. We've talked about that, TV shows and, you know, theme parks. I'm not, you know, again, this is a coaster. Originally it was a coaster channel, coaster challenge. We have a lot of coaster enthusiasts like myself, David, that are, that are involved with this or, or, you know, audience members, listeners and whatnot. But we also, a lot of us, David, myself, you know, big theme park fans, you know, certainly I, I will speak for myself here. I, when I go to a theme park, even if I have, don't have a lot of time, I, I'll go see the shows. I mean, certainly, you know, ones that I've heard about that are good and whatnot. And, you know, it's not just about getting on a coaster, getting on a thrill ride. Being an engineer, I'm actually, my, my formal background, my uh, education, if you will, is I'm, I'm an optical engineer. So going through the ballroom scene of the Haunted Mansion or just Mystery Lodge itself, the Pepper's Ghost effect, which is one of the most amazing effects that are used pretty commonly these days in theme parks, so well executed. And as technology is kind of keeping up with things, some of the newer things, you know, Disney and Knott's are doing another universal. It's amazing, amazing stuff to really make things look realistic and, and whatnot. So there's this pagoda, a magical pagoda attraction. Man, I wish I could have experienced it yeah. as an optical engineer. It sounds like I would have had a lot of fun, but that's, so that was your first. Okay. Very interesting. Yeah. Very yeah. unique. 
I'm guessing it probably wasn't that attraction. But tell me from that first one till today, what is the theme park attraction, the one that scares you the most before getting on it was most intimidating for you? Well, like you said in the beginning, I'm not a I'm not a big coaster guy. Right. I'm more, of a, I'm more of a dark ride guy. Now, to be fair, in full disclosure, my drink is sitting on a coaster. So that does count a little bit. <laughs> okay. So it's good. It's not a challenge, right. but it is sitting on a coaster. <laughs> Okay, but when when I was when I was a kid, again, we didn't have a lot of money. One of the things we used to do, my mother was religious about going to the L.A. County Fair because it was pretty cheap to go back in the day. And then the whole midway of carnival rides was great. The ride that scared me was one of those bump and go haunted house like blood castle rides. Oh yeah, in the little two seater and it takes you in. My sister and I went in one of those probably around 1977, 78. It was the scariest thing I'd ever been on. It was scary in that it, it didn't look well-made. It felt like we were going to fly out of the car at any time. It was just a big tractor trailer, and you would bump into the scene, and a buzzer would go off, and some body or something would lurch forward. And as soon as that happened, it would jerk you the other way and then bump into another scene. And, I, you know, the, the mental image I have is that it lasted six hours. Like, it was like being waterboarded. And you had to pay <laughs> tickets for it. It just seemed to go on for days, and it scared me so much. Walking out of that ride just was like, thank God, thank God it's over. Oh, my God. It felt like the when the Iran hostages left the plane and got to the tarmac. Right. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I remember i mean i've been on all kinds of dark rides over the years i mean when people think of dark rides you know they think of the haunted mansion pirates and things like that and certainly those are dark rides no question there are certainly all sorts of dark rides out there you're talking about the magical pagoda that would be certainly a dark ride uh knots knots uh berry tales one of the newest attractions there at knots that's that's certainly a dark ride uh, even your, your your kind of interactive games, you know, thing which that that partly is, or like a Toy Story Midway Mania, I get dark ride. But there also are these kind of other class of dark rides that kind of almost get into the kind of the second half of the interview, kind of the theme of that, which we'll get to later, of course, being the second half, where it's sort of creepy and scary, and, and the haunted mansion can be like this a little bit too, where yeah, they things bump around and it's almost like it's intended to be bumpy. So sort of that's part of the effect to kind of freak people out and just the kind of creepiness, the creepy scenes, the, the lighting, the sounds, and you know, and what you see, of course. I have been to, like you said, fairs like that. I've been to all sorts of fairs. I used to go to the San Diego County Fair, which is a very big fair, not, not far from LA, of course. I've been to the Meadowlands Fair in New Jersey, which is one of the biggest ones. I've been to, you know, all over the country and, you know, traveling carnivals and things like that. But, you know, one of my old home parks, as I, as I mentioned in the intro here this, for this interview, I used to live not just in Southern California, but Northern California. I know where I'm going with this. I lived in some of the, my favorite places to live, uh, Capitola, California and Santa Cruz, which are right next to each other. Love that area, beautiful area. And of course, there's the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk. And that was my home park for a number of years. And Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk has been featured in movies like Lost, like Us, you know, Jordan Peele's recent masterpiece from a couple of years ago. It's, you know, it's famous for the for the Giant Dipper, which is this classic loof uh, wooden coaster that's over 100 years old. Great, still runs great. And, you know, it's right on the beach there. It's beautiful. And it's one of these last remaining seaside parks from a bygone era. But another thing that, and why I bring it up now, why that the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk is famous for. And by the way, listeners, if I'm not selling you one already, you've got to go there if you've never been. 
David has never been. We're hoping to meet there when I go to California in August. But one of the really cool features of these these of uh, Center for Speed Boardwalk is their dark rides. They have these sort of classic, you know, 50s era, I guess would be 50s or 60s, dark rides, the the bump, the bumpy ones and the ones with the crazy hokey show scenes. I definitely get why, especially in terms of it being scary for you and intimidating getting before getting on it, because you, you have no idea what's going on inside that that mm-hmm. trailer, you know, that that movable building that's at that fair there that the Stark ride is part of. So I totally, that, that's totally understandable. You're the first person that's brought up a ride like that to us, but it totally makes sense. Well, yeah, if you're on the Midway and you're watching the ride, you're seeing the people go in and then a few minutes later, you see them on the second level and you go, oh my God, how'd they get up there and how are they going to get down and what's in there? I don't want to know. My, and yep. I, I, I had to go. <laughs> I had to go. Yeah, no, totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. Talk to me. You know, you've already set the stage. You're at the, you know, LA County Fair. You know, how old were you, by the way? About six. About six. You're young yeah. too. Sure, oh, yeah. which you contribute. So, because yeah. the younger we are, the less prepared we are to deal with fearful situations in general in life. Talk to me about what you remember going through your head, through your mind as you were, you know, on the line to go into this, watching, you know, the cars coming in and out and so forth. Same thing a lot of other people do. You're like, I'm doing this willingly. I'm going to pay for this privilege. These people are coming out (laughs) traumatized. It looks, I mean, as scary as all get out. It's black paint and bats and a vampire on the side. And it's the the title has blood in it. Why would anybody do this? And then you're like, okay, we're almost there. We're almost up to the front. And the turnstile is clicking and the, the toothless carny is waiting for your tickets. You know, this is back when everybody you know, was done with actual tickets and you, you, right. you're giving like a huge percentage because the dark rides cost almost the same as any of the, the roller coaster rides. They were not the cheap ones. I mean, if you got on the, the motorcycles, they went around in a circle. That's like two tickets. The Blood Castle one. That's like eight tickets. That's I'm giving up four rides on the motorcycle for this. So everything about <laughs> it is scary from the very idea of it to the commerce portion of it. Now ah, that's, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. Just the name of itself, by the way, you know, blood castle. That's, yeah, I don't uh, want to go in a blood castle. <laughs> yeah. Who wants to go in a blood castle? I, yeah. Not me, but there I yeah. was. <laughs> and let's so, not forget, let's not forget the one that was at the Pike, that similar attraction yeah, had a Beach. real yeah. dead body in it. Really? Yes. Wow. It was featured I so in an episode of The Six Million Dollar Man when somebody finally said, you know, that thing you have on display and there's a real body. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Wow. Yeah. I, I never got to experience the Long Beach Pike because it was gone by the time yeah, I moved me, to California. It's too Yeah. I, I never got to go to the Pike. I never got to go to Pacific Ocean Park. Two of them I wish I, I would have given anything Same. to go to. Yeah. And that's why places like Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk are so important. I mean, another way to put the beat, the boardwalk is it, it's what Disney is attempting to evoke some thoughts and feelings and, and memories of for people that have been uh, with the what was the original, the um, Paradise Pier, now Paradise the Pixar Pier. Pier. Yeah. yeah, although, and that even has a dark ride. That's where Toy Story Mandalorian Mania is. But the this this um, bloody castle is was that a bill tracy dark ride do you know or was that yeah, someone else i have no don't idea because bill tracy I, that's the, yeah. yeah i don't think it was a laugh in the dark like one of those i think right. it was some really just low rent one-off somebody had a trailer it probably wasn't very well kept right probably some some clone kind of thing not not mm-hmm. you know not a not this yeah right that makes sense that makes sense totally makes sense to why you're scared what, what was going through you you got on this ride so talk to us what it was like being on the ride. And then once you got off, how you were thinking, how you were feeling. Well, 
on the ride, it, you treat it like you're watching a scary movie and that your instinct is to close your eyes and bundle up until it's over. Since I was born a cheapskate, I kept saying, well, I paid for this. I might as well get the full experience out of it if I'm going to pay for it. You end up bumping into these scenes where this buzzer goes off and this creature is lunging or somebody's having their head chopped off. The motion of the car is just so herky-jerky that everything about it is discombobulating. Everything about it. And it just ends up being this overload on your senses. But you know that everybody before you came out okay. Odds are I'm going to come out okay. I don't remember what movie it was, but every time they did something crazy, somebody would go NPD, right? NPD, no permanent damage. I, yeah, I don't know what that's from either. I think I've heard that though before. So so are you saying, at, honestly, at six years old, you were actually thinking that though, that, hey, these other people have already gotten off the ride and, and I'm at a oh, fun place. Dude, I was born 30. Are you kidding? <laughs> Interesting. Old soul kind of thing, right? Oh, yeah. When when I when I turned 21 or 22, I remember going into my garage because we were moving from Norwalk to Buena Park. We moved right next to Nosbury Farm. Oh, wow. I remember opening a closet and finding, I'm not kidding, about 50 unopened Star Wars figures from my childhood. Because at some point I realized, yeah, I probably don't need these to play with, but they might be worth something later. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And I, I just did the math, by the way. I wasn't in this early because you said you started working at Knott's in 94. Yeah. So you're coming up just a two, three more years and it'll be 30 years for you. Oh, my God. Why would you say that? <laughs> well, hey, we're talking about fear here and scary <laughs> things. So, right. right. No, it's, it's 30 really great years. I... I lucked into it. I really did. Again, I was only going to work there for a short time. And then I discovered how much I liked it. And even though I wasn't making much money, I decided to stick with it. Nice. That's awesome. Sounds like a true passion project, which I'm, again, we'll get excited to talk more about that here in a little bit. All right. Well, thanks for sharing about this, this bloody castle. Wow. That's uh, that sounds pretty scary. Did you, you get off that ride? You're six years old. You've conquered it. Did riding that attraction and conquering that, that fear, Did that impact your life in any way in the near term, long term? Well, it didn't impact it in that I wanted to go on a lot of rides after that. But I've never been, again, like I've said, I've never been a coaster guy, which when I tell people at a party, they're like, you work at a theme park, you don't go on coasters. Why would you do that? (laughs) And I go, well, you know, a lot of people who work at Ford don't drive Fords. So I don't know know what you can take from that. (laughs) But I think subconsciously what it did was it showed me the power of what people will do to get scared. When I look back at some of the things I did in elementary school and in high school, they they translate right into what I ended up doing with my life. So it's very interesting how it goes through that. Interesting, okay, so that's, okay. So really it inspired you to create those, to eventually want to create those experiences. Wow, that's that's pretty powerful. I I do a podcast where I talk about my life and go into the movies because everybody does a movie podcast. But mine is more about, hey, the movie's great, but here's what happened, you know, when I went to see Back to the Future. It wasn't just about Back to the Future. Here's my adventures collecting Back to the Future. I've talked a lot about my personal crazy life on my podcast. And part of that is there was a moment in time where I lived in this bizarre, almost commune, like cult, like a lot Mm. of people in a small building, they were all crazy drunks like just crazy as you can be. Like if I wrote it down, you wouldn't believe it. And one of them, this guy got a job as a night 
security guard at a factory that made front doors to houses. Huh. Right. Okay. Okay. So, so of course he kept bringing home stolen front doors every night. He would bring home more front doors. Eventually we had a hundred front doors in our front yard and people would stop and like shop for doors. Like, Oh, I'll take that one. Do you have any front doors with a little window? Like you'll see where I'm getting to this. So in Halloween 1983, I used those doors to make a maze in my front yard where you had, I I stacked them in a way that to get to the trick or treat station, you had to go this way and that way and then crawl under and then around the skeleton into the front door. So when I look back, like at stuff like that, it's like, it's almost too good to be true. It it really happened. That's I I knew you were going somewhere with this and uh, because I I know you're a great storyteller. So then, that applies to doing an interview. It's about telling stories. So that is an amazing story. So that was your first ever haunt creation, I take it, right? Yeah. The the other the one that precedes it, I didn't have anything to do with in that. It's funny because I was just talking to my brother. I have an older brother. He's seven years older than me. So he's basically the next generation, the generation before me. And he's the generation that grew up listening to Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin and that sort of thing. He ran with a bunch of guys who were really smart guys, electrical engineers, crazy psychedelic artists. In 1978, they built, uh, they got a house that no one was living in, two streets behind me in Norwalk, and they built a haunted house in it. Uh, One of those where you get a tour guide and he takes you through the haunted house. And I remember going through that and just like, oh my God, look at that. I mean, the haunted mansion's great, but this is like in my neighborhood. And they had chess boards with pieces that moved and they had a Pepper's ghost effect and they had graves in the backyard with people reaching out of them. And then wow. to, to me, the best part of it was they had people dressed up as a Jawa with light up eyes from Star Wars, Darth Vader with a light up chest piece. That was my first like, whoa, Halloween's a lot more than trick-or-treating. Look at what you can do. Uh, The best part of that story is, it's all documented, which is insane to me. And my brother right now is trying to find any of the uh, newspaper clippings that related, because the the media covered it big time, because it was a pretty big deal for 1978. But the guy who played Darth Vader that night was a guy named Richard Bonin, Boner, Bonin, Okay, And uh, he was arrested not long after that for being one of the freeway killers, which was a serial killer that terrorized Southern California in the 70s and killed quite a number of young men. And he was involved in the haunted house and the FBI came to our house. It was pretty, I mean, scary on so many levels. Wow, that's incredible. That's, wow, that's, you know, (laughs) those of us, we, we just were coming out of this pandemic And, you know, last year in the pandemic, of course, a lot of us stayed home more as we were supposed to, keeping safe and whatnot. One of the things that happened last year because of the pandemic is we, again, watch more TV. And of course, not everyone, I have met a few people that haven't, but a lot of us, myself included, watched Tiger King. You can, whatever your opinion may be of it. And and of course, there's some really bad things that happen. It's it's one of those stories. It's not the only one because I've seen movies like this as well that are based on reality very closely where fact is stranger than fiction. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those true stories 
are some of those craziest and best stories. It's not, it's, I mean, fiction can be amazing and fiction in a way is more difficult because, you know, if you got this crazy true story, then yeah, you already know what the story is. You can adapt it and make it a movie, a play, a musical, whatever. But for someone like yourself, where you're creating these whole universes, these old stories from scratch, maybe a little inspiration here and there, it's even more, it's creating, it's literally being creative and it's even more challenging. But that that's a, that's a crazy story right there. The freeway killer. Wow. Wow. I know it's, it's absolutely, actually, you know what? Bonin was the main killer and the guy that was Darth Vader was a guy named Vernon Butts. Yeah, that's his name, Vernon Butts. Hard to forget. That's a name. crazy name. That's yeah. a crazy name. He used wow. To, he used to run around in a vampire cape and he slept in a coffin. On the weekends, they kidnapped and killed people. I mean, it's absolutely insane. That's, yeah. Wow. That's crazy out there. Wow. <laughs> but what really happened, which is which makes it more powerful. Wow. That's insane. <laughs> we talked about how Blood Castle inspired you at a very young age to eventually be doing what you're now doing. Would you say going a step beyond that as you got older and started going to parks and, and then eventually working in the parks as you do now, have theme parks had any kind of significant positive impact on your life and you know and, and in what ways have they oh well obviously yes because yes I've, right i've put my whole life into 30 it. years I, right yeah, 30 <laughs> years almost but uh no theme parks were some of growing up here in southern california in the 1980s I, I talked about how we couldn't afford Disneyland earlier in life but when i became a teenager i was at disneyland a lot you know there was a group called the Southern California Locals. Now, I wasn't part of that group because I'm frankly not that cool, but <laughs> I did get to go to the Captain EO 60-hour party, the Star Tours 60-hour party, and got to go on Pirates of the Caribbean at three in the morning and Haunted Mansion at four in the morning. And what rides can we go on where we can sleep? Those, those are some of the greatest times of my life. Being at Disneyland, do you remember the exit to America the Beautiful Cir Circle-rama? I, so the first time I ever went to Disneyland, because, so just a quick background on me, because I've lived all over the country, I've moved around a bit. So I'm not like yourself, you know, you've been a Southern Californian, you know, very intense and all this, you know, obviously living in Southern California, like you have for years, you have all these experiences. So I grew up in New Jersey. So I grew up going to Disney World, at, you know, with my parents, my sure. grandparents lived in Florida, you know, very, very stereotypical. I didn't move out to California until the early, two, late 90s, early 2000s. The first time I ever went to Disneyland was in November of 2001. Wow. But so, see, I, I've yeah. never been to Disney World. There was no reason for me to go to Disney right. World. Right. There you I go. Grew up yeah. With yeah. Disneyland, two exits down the freeway. Right. Wow. But so you're asking about yeah, the exit. Yeah. So At yeah. the exit of that attraction, there were these, this is 1985, 86. There were these telephones that were giant cubes where you could go and sit in and there was no receiver. You put the money in, you dialed, and the it was a speaker. It was basically a speaker phone. There was nothing like that anywhere. So we'd always go in there and, you know, hey, mom, we're talking to you from a room. Everybody's here and can hear you. And those are, those are priceless memories of, it seemed as if, you know, going now, Disneyland seems quaint because I know how small it is compared to the other parks. But right. it seemed like when you were in Tomorrowland, you were in another world. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just in yeah. another world. We would go on the people mover and it would go way out beyond the submarine ride on those tracks. And you feel like I'm the only person out here. I am enjoying this. 
amazing place alone. It, there's just, I love those isolated moments of going to those parks. And then I also like having dinner with my mom at uh, the Tomorrowland Terrace in oh. the 90s Bengal barbecue. So you can- Oh, yeah. Before, and this is when Disneyland had the California Select Pass. Right. Probably from 1991 till late 90s, it was $99 to go for a year. Everybody had a pass. Whenever there was a free moment, we went to Disneyland. My kids grew up at DCA. You know, DCA wow. was their home park. They, they get nostalgic talking about Superstar Limo, the, the Golden Dreams movie. Yes. So not only have I worked at theme parks, but I have enjoyed going to theme parks my whole life. And a lot, I mean, because they're so ingrained as memories, they, they become so important. They become so important. They're part of your, your family stories. Like, remember that time? And yeah, well, next time we're going to go here and there and really, really amazing stuff. I mean, it's hard. Oh. I mean, it's hard to put into words the nostalgia you have because you know now that my, my parents are gone and everybody's grown up, it, those the, the, the days all turn to sepia and they all get better than they were. Right. Yeah. That's no very well put, and I can hear the passion. And again, you're, we're here. We are two theme park enthusiasts talking to each other, and I can yeah. very much relate. So the sixty-hour parties, Jeff. Were you actually there for that, like that whole time? Did you go home and sleep and come back or how did that work? For the first one for EO, we went after school Friday because it was Friday to Sunday. So we went after school Friday and I think we must have come home Sunday afternoon. Oh yeah, wow. we were there a huge bulk of it. And then for the Star Tours one, I wasn't going to miss out because I'm massive Star Wars fan. Same. You know, I, I named yeah. my first kid Luke Skywalker. I mean, I'm not kidding around. <laughs> wow. Yeah, not a no joke. Uh, wow. Um, but I remember getting there right a couple hours after they opened, and the line for Star Tours was at Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln. So Oh yeah. So wow. we got we got in it and rode it about four hours later, blown away by it. Of course. Uh, of course. But we wouldn't get a second ride on it until three or four in the morning when the people had finally left. But no, I was dedicated. I I had been weaned on sci-fi conventions where this is the only time you're going to get to talk to people who like the things that you like. So right. we would spend all night in the hotel lobby talking with people about Star Wars and Battlestar Galactica and The Love Last it. Starfighter and Dreamscape oh. and Goonies and Explorers and oh, Gremlins and Big Trouble in Little China and all that. So. Uh, I love it. Again, big movie fan. You've mentioned some of my favorites like Dreamscape, Last Starfighter. A lot of these movies people have never seen. David, if you've mm -hmm. never seen Last Starfighter, you got to see it. David's in the background producing. I think he's making notes. Uh, yeah, wow. And and I'm totally with you. I've been to conventions. I, I'm a, I'm a sci-fi nerd. Probably wear that that badge. I've been to you know some of the bigger you know, comic content things. You know, so I've not been on Rise of the Resistance because you only had about a week here before everything got shut down. I didn't have time. Yeah, I did yeah. go to Galaxy's Edge on a cast member preview. I was fascinated because I was in modern day at a theme park where no one could have a cell phone because they made you put it away because there were no photos allowed. So right. everybody was living in the moment. And, and talking to each other. never going right. to happen again. Right. But that's, having, yeah. having not been on Rise of the Resistance, I can tell you, to me, the greatest theme park attraction in the world, again, not having ridden that one, is Star Trek The Experience at the Hilton, which is no yes. longer there. That ride cost $35 to ride when it opened. Yes. And I went a lot and I, it was worth every penny. That was to me, that was Vegas's modern heyday mm -hmm. when all these crazy resorts, the Mirage and 
the Luxor, New York, New York, they were being built. And it was, you know, this, it was the big golden age of, of Vegas. And with that, it wasn't just the gambling and the shows, which are great. Love the shows, by the way. But I've seen Siegfried and Roy a couple of times. I'm so glad I did because now we can't. But on top of all of that is dining experiences are great too, of course. But there's the family attractions. Coasters were being built. The Luxor had a great Star Tour style dark ride. Yeah, that, that was, was uh, really cool. Yeah. Search for the obelisk. Yes. So yeah. well done. I mean, again, ahead of its time in terms of the, the that was, motion. Uh, that was Douglas Trumbull, the guy who did Back to the Future, the ride. Oh, not surprising at all, given how well it was done. Wow. I'm Again, I'm a huge sci-fi fan, Star Wars, Star Trek equally. I love them both. And when I heard about the Star Trek experience opening at the Las Vegas Hilton next convention center, I'm like, oh, I'm there. And I was going to Vegas several times a year. And so I think it was in 97, I think, or 96 when it opened. But I went up going several times. And yeah, 35 bucks back in the mid 90s. But you know what? And I know you're going to agree with this. Worth every penny. Oh, yeah. But I got to tell you about something. We're going to take the theme park time machine there and go back to the mid nineties, you know, what, 30 years ago and well, almost 30 years ago, Star Trek experience. Cause it was so ahead of its time in that uh, the immersion and the special effects, the transporter effect, that bridge, the enterprise deep bridge, Holy yeah. cow. Yeah. And now of course, all the, all the people in costume. And of course they had their own kind of star tours, the shuttle attraction and eventually the Borg attraction. They had the, you exit and you were right there on Deep Space Nine with Quark's bar, and it looks just like the show. So well done. And I, I'm sure that Scott Trimble and his team, you know, involved with uh, creating Galaxy's Edge, that they were inspired by the Star Trek experience. Well, yeah, if you're going to build a, an attraction in modern day, you have to have some uh, allegiance to Gary Goddard, who revolutionized the industry with, industry with landmark entertainment. I mean, the stuff he did is amazing. Star Trek, the experience was just, oh my God, it was so immersive. It was so good that when I was putting Trapped Year 3 together, I said, look, if you're going to steal... Steal from the best. Right. The, the original opening of Star Trek, the experience, you paid your $35, you got in line. And when you got to the ride itself, they had a very sloppy older woman operating. It was always the same type of frumpy, welcome to Star Trek, the experience. <laughs> line up here. Because it looked like Star Tours. It had the little doors. Yes. It had a TV. And it said, please watch this safety video. And I'm telling you, the first time I went, I was pissed beyond belief. I said, this is cheap looking. They ought to be ashamed of themselves. And then the, the safety video plays and there's a guy with his pregnant wife and they go, pregnant women should not ride. So the, 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 the wife leaves and the guy goes, eh, and he gets on the ride. And the woman goes, what a nice gentleman. And I'm like, she's even commenting on the television like i i hate everything about this and then of course everything goes haywire the lights go out the, the air whooshes in a vacuum and when the lights come on you're on the enterprise and i went oh i got got and i right? got yeah got me too in yeah. a big way when it came time to do trapped when you when you went in for year three you waited in this little waiting room and you were met by this woman dressed like a flight attendant she had, you know, a very crisp uniform and a neckerchief and a little hat. Uh -huh. And she'd go, hello, welcome to Trapped. And she'd give you the rules like, oh, this is uh -huh. terrible. She doesn't even know her lines. Like uh -huh. They had little cue cards to read their lines off of. The night we did executive previews, the top guy at the farm was there. He went through and he was on his phone. And as that girl is walking them to where you actually enter the attraction, he's 
I'm fired. He had told me this. He said, at that moment, Jeff, you were fired because <sighs> you, where'd the money go? What did you do? Right. You had a week of rehearsal. <laughs> so at, what happens is that girl goes behind, she goes, please wait on the line. And then she goes behind a wall. Instantly, like in a magic trick, she comes out and now she's a dominatrix and she is screaming at you and yelling at you and you're totally off base. My the my top boss said, you got me. You were fired up until that moment. And then basically <laughs> a promotion. And I said, you got to hang in there. It's always going to there's always a surprise. Again, I, I totally homage to Star Trek The Experience. That's so cool. I love that story. And again, ha ha having such a fondness for that for the Star Trek experience, you know, as a theme park fan, as a Star Trek fan, and then yeah. the nostalgia is so now, strong. Yeah, do you remember yeah, the original awesome. ending before they changed it? Because Star Trek I had don't. two endings. It's been it's been over twenty years, almost yeah. twenty five. Yeah, so yeah. the first ending was absolutely brilliant. the The ride ends with Jordy LaForge setting the 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 shuttle down next to the simulators. That's in the film of the ride. He goes, "I'm going to set you down next to those simulators." And so oh you yeah, can see, you can see like a, a a curved screen showing Deep Space Nine, and then you land next to what looks like a simulator. So when the doors open, the Enterprise. Uh, shuttle bay is gone and instead it's all industrial there's trash cans and there's a guy sweeping and he turns and he goes who the hell are you guys how the hell did you get this is this is a restricted area you need to leave immediately <laughs> and you're like what so then he escorts you out then you're on the promenade of ds9 i think they got complaints that people were so jarred by that because it, it right. they changed they softened the ending to like you watched a television of a sighting of a UFO over Area 51. Uh, sources are saying that it's a spaceship above the uh, Vegas Strip. It was all, I, yeah. I, I know why they had to do it, but boy, that original ending was so dynamite. Yeah, I mean, it, it's crazy. And again, for anyone listening, even if you're not a Star Trek fan, even if you hate Star Trek and you haven't heard about this, you never experienced this, look it up, Google it. Fortunately, this is back in the, in 98, January 98 is when it opened. So this is just at the beginning of digital photography, digital cameras were just starting to come out. This is long before smartphones. So you're probably not gonna be able to find much on YouTube, maybe, but you'll be able to find stories and, and a lot of uh, people reminiscing and the nostalgia factor is huge there. It was so ahead of its time to the point where in my, in many ways, it wasn't until Rise of the Resistance opened or perhaps some of that Potter stuff as well, where we really were seeing something at that level again. I mean, Star Trek experience was a, so unique and so special. And it's, it's sad that it, it only lasted 10 years. Right. I would does, like, yeah. Does Star Trek the experience, it's a question for the listeners because uh, they would know more than I would. Does Star Trek the experience begin the era of the audience member being part of the story? Like you're not a passive observer in any way. Right. You are part of the story. One of you is Picard's relative. And if right. you don't survive, Picard doesn't survive. And I'm sure there's probably an attraction before that that had that, but not on that scale. Not like right. you're the whole reason we're here. Yes, exactly. And 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 Rise of the Resistance gets into that to some degree where you're so immersed into it. I mean, Jeff, a quick side thing, but you know, you and I, we talk on Facebook and Facebook Messenger. Just when you get on Rise finally, you got to tell me what you thought of it. Oh, absolutely. It, oh, yeah. As a fan of a Star Trek experience, big sci-fi fan, both of us, if you love Star Trek experience, you're going to love Rise. It, 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 it is, so, it's like that plussed up 25 years of technology later 
Star Trek experience in the other well, big universe. So. The idea that I'm going to be able to see basically a full-size AT-AT, the, the yes. toy that I had as a kid. A couple kid, of them. It was one of yeah. my favorite toys. That's enough. I mean, I saw them being built. So I'm like, I was like Marty McFly looking at the truck. Someday, Jennifer, someday. <laughs> I hope to eventually have him on the podcast, by the way, that Rise of Resistance has a very personal meaning for me and it's importance to me. My nephew was a, he's brilliant. He's, he's just going out to MIT here in a couple months for graduate school. He's working at JPL right now. He was an Imagineer intern for a year and he worked on the animatronics for nice. Rise. He so, didn't get to tell me that until recently because of he couldn't disclose, but yeah. Can he confirm or deny that Kylo Ren is the Wicked Witch of the West? <laughs> <laughs> okay, in, what do you mean by that? I don't get the reference. I mean, I know Wicked Witch of the West. Inquiring yeah. minds want to know. There have been side-by-side -side comparisons of the Wicked Witch from the great movie ride and oh, Kylo Ren, and then it's the I same it. figure. I'll, I'll ask him. He probably could tell me that. He probably could tell me that. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, so yeah, that's, that was a fun little little uh, kind of aside there. But yeah, listeners, again, if, if you don't like Star Trek, check out the Star Trek experience. And it is my hope, just one last comment on this before we move on. That and I know you work for Knotts and and Knotts, you know, is a lot of, a lot of high theme. But you guys don't necessarily do it necessarily a lot where you get into the the licensed IP stuff like say Disney Universal do. So I would think that Universal will be the one to most likely do it to compete with Disney. I would love to see Universal get the, that license from parent from Viacom and do something with Star Trek. Can you imagine what Universal could do with modern technology? competing well, against disney you know the problem i would have with it is that universal seems to be addicted to screens i know it gets yeah. really old after a while like i thought that the minions ride was a ride and it when i walked in i'm like oh it's another set of screens and don't even get me started on the i'm putting air quotes up fast and furious ride yeah <laughs> the I, listen, the I, yeah I'll, I'll buy vin diesel hanging from a single person helicopter as reality before i'll buy that you can race on la freeways that fast yeah the fast and the furious because i'm a huge universal fan I, that's one of my home parks here in orlando i love going there i'm there almost every week i don't know if it's because disney has exclusivity still i doubt it but the test track technology that they develop with dynamic attractions mm -hmm. That's what Universal should have used. Why isn't that a Fast and Furious ride? Right, or, absolutely. Or the stuff that they did for the Mario Kart ride that I've seen. That looks amazing. Real quick, you talk yes. about Universal Studios. I have such a soft spot for Universal, even though I never went there as a kid. My, again, we had no money for that kind of stuff. After Back to the Future came out in 1985, I became obsessed, not only with the film itself, how it was made, where it was made, how I... I've never had an urge to want to climb into a movie screen like I did with Back to the Future. In 86 and 87, 88, my friends and I actually would go into Universal's overnight, hang out around the sets at like two or three in the morning. Really? You would yeah. sneak in is what you're saying? Uh -huh. Which is odd because it's so out of character for me, but we couldn't afford to go. And the, riding the tour tram is not the same. We actually went in right after... Uh, Part one was released. So I have pictures of me on the clock tower, on the steps of the clock tower, inside Lou's Cafe. Wow. And then the big thing was during Back to the Future, the filming of two, we figured out how to get in during the middle of the day. I, I have pictures of me at the Cafe 80s. Uh, at the Clock Tower Mall. Huh. Uh, I, I used to wave at the trams as they went by. I got to live out my dream of being in Hill Valley. 
That's incredible. And I'm, I'm not going to ask you how you did it. I don't want to get you in trouble or anything. I'll just leave it at that. I, I, That's just... I, I wrote a book about it. So it's not. Really oh, you a wrote secret. a book about it. Yeah. Really? So have you, I mean, obviously you work in the industry. Have you talked to anyone at Universal or has anyone talked to you about what happened and just kind of joked about it or as they contacted no. you? Or... It, it's no? so long ago. The stuff that I got to see, you know, it all burned down. If I hadn't yeah. done it back then, it's not possible. Everything now is a replica. I tried to sell that book one time at a convention and I had a whole display of Back to the Future stuff on my table and copies of the book. And the, the picture on the cover is me in front of the Cafe 80s. Like, there's no doubt I am on the set. I had a couple of people say, well, I don't understand. You're on the set of this movie. You're willing to just put this out here. And I looked at him. I said, you think they're going to come get me? I said, it was 1989. It's been quite a while. I think anybody who worked there is probably dead. Right. I said, but they're welcome to come get me if that's how they feel about it. I, I, I treated Back to the Future and the sets and the buildings like a museum. So yeah. we were there to look and not touch. You were being I am, very respectful, I have, right? I have never carved my initials in anything. <laughs> uh, I used to put up JAT on the high score of Phoenix and asteroids, but that's about it. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not that guy. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I, I am also like you know when I because I've gotten to go to very special events at theme parks. You know, behind the scenes, I've done Hollywood Nights recently. I've done Ace events at other parks. Even I've done Ace events at Knotts actually. But I also because Coaster Challenge, we are somewhat of an influencer very just getting started but you know we've had we have a youtube channel we've done that for a long time now with the podcast we're on media list and we have love our relationship with the parks including knots by the way we're very proud of our relationship with knots i've gone to media events for construction tours david has as well for coasters you know six flags and sea world parks things like that and i've gotten to write my name on on the support for a, a coaster as it's being built but again that is all they ask you to it's do sanctioned. that you can yeah. do it sanctioned yeah and so I'm very excited. The first time, and, I think the only time I've got to do that was at Icebreaker here in Orlando. Whenever it opens, finally, I can say, hey, I, my name is on this ride. But yeah, anyway, so. At the yeah. highest point of Batu, it says yes. 91 Reasons, because I have a friend who works at Disney who put it right on there. So. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember when the cast members were doing that. I remember hearing about that years ago. Yeah. In the And while you were talking there, I was thinking about when I, the first time I went to Universal Hollywood was in 86. And yeah, of course, Back Future of the Ride wasn't open yet because it was 85, which I already knew was when the first movie came out. It was 91. And I know this because I have a made to thrill poster. I have a whole, I have nine of them up, uh, on my wall and a grid of nine of them. And one of them is is the Back to the Future ride. And because I'm a huge, huge Back to the Future fan. See, uh, you know, I, yeah. I, I have photos from the opening day of Back to the Future of the Ride because oh, wow. uh, I went there in costume as Marty Jr. from part two with the, the jacket and the shoes and everything. Yeah. Because of contractual obligations and the way nobody signed on the dotted line, they've never had a Marty McFly in the park, only a doc. So I have pictures of me with Doc and where people are going crazy because there's not, there's never been a Marty. And that was opening day. That's really cool. Wow. Okay. Well, that was a, again, a great couple of tangents there. I love it. So, but let's come back to, uh, to what we want to talk about here and the actual kind of questions I want to ask you, because we have some fun things to talk about there. Obviously my last question was about asking you about how theme parks had a significant impact on your life. And obviously you've spent all this time, these 60 hour parties working now for almost 30 years in the industry. I want to kind of follow up with a more specific question. Have theme parks 
being involved with them, being immersed in them and these attractions, have they enriched your life? Have they made your life better? And I don't just mean it having fun. I mean it in a, in a more serious level. Have they maybe helped you through some tough times? Have they given you a better quality of life, psychologically speaking, that sort of thing? Well, I, I, I don't think anybody can say that it hasn't. You you go to parks and you remember, you know, going with someone who's not there anymore. I remember you're pro- you're a big fan of... Um, of Doug, of Doug and the and the gang over at oh yes, season pass. pass yeah and they oh, did yeah. a they used they did some mice chat mice age podcast for a while yeah there was there was a, a turn of a phrase that Dusty put up one time where he said remember that every time you go to Disneyland it's somebody's first trip yes it's also right. somebody's last trip yeah like, oh yeah I never thought about that I've heard you him know? say that yeah, yeah no it's very it's very touching and very poignant. The midways of Knott's Berry Farm are soaked in memories for me because I've spent so much of my life there. And I was a, a guest there for years as a kid. My mother liked it over Disneyland because it was cheaper and there was more antique shopping. So we used to go there quite a bit. We used to go to the steakhouse all the time. Having worked there and spent huge amounts of my life there. And I, I renewed my wedding vows on Ghost Rider as part of one of the coaster events. Oh, that's so cool. Like I've done everything, you know. It sounds like I'm Rutger Hauer and Blade Runner, you know, I've seen, <laughs> I've seen, you know, I've seen people on rides during the thunderstorms off the moons of Jupiter, you know, but uh, <laughs> I've made lifelong friends at, uh, I just, you know, this past weekend, we drove two hours up the coast to hang out with somebody I haven't seen in years who we were storytellers together at Mystery Lodge. And oh, it was wow. like, like no time had passed, you know? Oh Yeah. Theme parks, that's, that's that's where it is, man. For someone like me, that's where it is. They're central to your life. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Of course, you, mean, you work there, you love them. It's, again, I love my career as an engineer and I'm very proud of it. And it's in a, a, for a, a lot of people, myself included, our work is what enables the play. And one of my biggest life adages I live by, idioms, if you will, is work hard, play hard. And I do love my work and I've gotten to travel. I'm very fortunate. You know, I've gotten to go to so many theme parks overseas and whatnot, as I mentioned earlier. But my work that I do, it's not a passion for me. It's an enabler of passion. But so I I so have so much respect for someone like yourself who your work is your passion. You know, I appreciate that. When I was in college, I was a big theater guy, obviously. I worked pretty closely with a guy named David who we just clicked instantly. We got each other's humor. We understood where we were going in a scene just by a glance. He's currently a big, big guy up in entertainment at Disneyland at DCA. It's funny when we get together because we're the only ones out of our class that are still doing what we wanted to do. And there's a lot of satisfaction in that of like, well, I get to do theater. And I've had people tell me like, well, you should move to uh this small town here, it's not like California, but we have a, we have an amusement park right here. And I go, no, 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 you're misunderstanding me. I work at a multiple group of theaters and they happen to be in a theme park. Right. So right. I actually work in theater. It's on a different level and scale and the needs might be a little different. Like we're not doing Shakespeare, but we're still doing theater. And if it works, then everybody wins in it, you know? And I'm proud of like David's work is so amazing what he does. 
I'm proud of what I do. And I'm proud that we get together. We're like, hey, we're the last ones, you know, who decided to stick in it. That's really cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. For me, I mean, the reality is, I mean, there are literally thousands of people just here in the U.S. that work at theme parks, perhaps even hundreds of thousands, if you consider all the parks. But on the level, on the creative side, the management side, like yourself, probably what, maybe hundreds, thousands, you know, whether it be, you know, what you do and your team at Knott's, Universal Creative, Imagineering, Disney, et cetera. You know, you guys live and breathe it. And I'm sure the vast majority of those people are theme park fans. So they're they're being their passion or, you know, it's all that. But for the, for the majority of us, the millions just here in the U.S. that love going to the parks and, you know, even millions of very passionate enthusiasts, we just get to go to the parks and experience them and entertain ourselves. And we're not living and breathing them necessarily. I mean, some go every day. I don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I got too much other stuff going on, too many other interests and whatnot. For me, it's the entertainment, it's the immersion, it's the nostalgia, it's everything. But it's also the theme park therapy. So, uh, but, you know, for someone like yourself, I'm sure, again, you have so much positivity from the theme parks, but you're living and breathing it. I mean, you're there every day, like you said, 364 days a year. So, yeah, that's incredible. So, Jeff, I want to I want to kind of switch gears here kind of in the second half of the interview. And this is I'm, I'm so excited to talk to you about this. We, you and I, we've talked about Disney. We've talked about Knott's a little bit. We've talked about Universal a lot. But I really want to talk about Knott's a lot here because, of course, that's where you work. You've worked there for almost 30 years. And Knott's is one of my beloved parks. It used to be one of my home parks, as I said at the beginning. You know, Knott's Berry Farm is a very unique park. And, you know, for those that have been there, some may not even realize that, you know, it's one, again, one of the oldest parks. It's very much older than Disney. In fact, Knott's inspired Walt Disney to do a lot of things he did at Disneyland, having been to that park himself. A lot of people know Knott's to be, have, have some challenges kind of being landlocked on all sides by neighborhoods. You guys have to continually work with the, just the space you have available. And you guys do an amazing job with that and continue to innovate with, with shows with attractions one of the ways that i uh, i've been very impressed with i've never got to see experience this myself but i being a theme park fan i listen to a lot of podcasts i've got a lot of friends that are in california like david that have experienced these things the ghost town alive turning a one of your beloved themed lands at not very farm into an attraction of itself that's immersive so so brilliant now were you involved in that yourself well, no, the creation of, of Ghost Hunt Alive is, it was a, it was a big team that I was a little tiny piece of, okay. uh, no, that, that was the brainchild of, a, of the guy who just left entertainment, Ken Parks. Uh, he moved up in the corporate level to work on a whole nother level of projects. I, I was there at the very beginning of Ghost Hunt Alive. I was there at the initial meetings where a lot of people said, this is never going to work. This is <laughs> asking too much of the guests. It seems too weird and too touchy-feely. I was sitting in the meeting saying, I can't wait to see it work. Let's see if it can work. <laughs> One of the, the, the my contribution to Ghost Town Alive was given to me as like a challenge. Can this be done? And part of it was, they wanted to have the the guests are activated. I mean, I I'm the last guy to talk about Ghost Town Alive because again, my stuff is so disconnected from the actual mechanics of it. Part of it is engaging the guests and instantly like like that getting them involved and how right. the actors do it. They have all these tricks up their sleeves, but my trick that I provide is they'll ask them, "Can you take a letter from here to the guy <laughs> over there at the blacksmith?" They wanted all these letters that would be in character written from character to character or from character to somebody outside of town or from somebody outside of town 
into town and they had to go building the building. So I had all these graphs. I actually put it on my wall at my office. I had all these charts. It looked like, you ever seen that meme of the guy from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where he's pointing at the wall with all yes. the strings? That's yes. what my, my office looked like. During the creation of those letters, you know, most of my, my thinking is late at night. I stare at the wall and I go, wait a minute. And I called Ken and I said, you know, there's no computer program that will do this. These letters will have to be handwritten, all of, every single one of them. He said, yeah, I, I didn't thought about that. I went and you know what? In seventh grade, I learned calligraphy and nice. I never... I never thought it was going to matter in real life. And I went to Michael's and I bought a whole box of calligraphy pens and ink. And I spent months writing every single letter by hand, making sure that they're in different penmanship. They each tell a story. They're in the storyline of the Ghost Town Alive story of the day. The dates match, the characters match. And I was so proud of all those letters. And then, you know what we discovered? God bless children. They're not going to read a letter that's for somebody else. <laughs> Most of them are delivered intact to, right. the, to the character. The, I, we had backups for all the letters because I thought, oh, people are just going to take them. It's a free souvenir. Kids are like, no, no, you can't take this. This is the mail. Oh, they this treat it serious. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And <laughs> when that happened, I went, oh, this, Ken has discovered it. I mean, this is amazing. The only drawback to any of Ghost Town Alive I can think of is that everybody who went to Galaxy's Edge when it opened, that's what we were expecting because yeah. that's what was sold at D23. Yeah. It's not quite what they do. And logistically, I get why they don't do it. But man, Ghost Town Alive is so amazing, so immersive, and so like, I, you have kids who spend six hours there and never go on rides. They live yeah. in Ghost Town for the day. You want to talk about therapy? Again, not my thing. I take zero credit. Ken got letters from parents who said, my autistic child has never spoken. And after Ghost Ten Alive, he or she Oh, talks. wow. And you, I mean, we're reading these letters and we're just crying our eyes out. Oh, because wow. Who, who would have thought? Who would have thought? But here's the, the kicker. Kids love to play. And that's how they spend 90% of their day loving to play. But most adults won't play with them. They're too busy. There's too much to do. Right. The people of Ghost Town Alive, that's all they want to do is play with the people who come. So the kids are just, oh my God, it's real. This guy is real to me. And that's light years beyond anything I could have expected. That's amazing. And I I, I love your your humbleness because as, as you kind of let in there, you were a small piece, but I loved your piece of that. That's so cool. The letters yeah, and that, that's, you, you should be proud. You said you're proud. You should be. That yeah. is so and amazing. The second year, we did it because we've done it a few years now and I've written right. every letter, every letter, every telegram. I sat down and I wrote the letters. You know, we, we talked about the storylines and who was going to talk to who. I wrote all the letters and then Ken goes, well, you know, it's the next year, Jeff. So you have to go up one year. So I took, I brought all the letters home and spent all weekend figuring out how to change the dates on all the letters. And I'll never forget like, Oh, we have a weekend to do it. It was great. It was great. Oh. I, I'm very proud of that work. I, I, I'm, I'm also proud that the attraction is so amazing that most people don't even notice that it's there. And that's right. The Cause it's right. It's, it's organic. Right. Exactly. It's organic. It's not like it's, it's like, oh, okay, oh, they're doing this thing. Mm -hmm. you, oh, you have to line up for it and you get a special badge yeah. for, you know, no, it, it's it's integrated and that's the brilliance of it. Yeah. And I'm glad you told, I, this wasn't even something I was going to even ask you about. I was thinking about it. That's why I brought it up. 
I'm so glad I did because some of the things you talked about there, that that autistic child, that is core to our mission. And I love yeah. that you guys, not even it's not even a new attraction, so to speak, where it's a physical coaster or a ride, or it's a specific show in a show building. It's a unique attraction into itself. It's part of, it's making a land immersive. That itself, you guys have made a difference in people's lives. That is yeah. incredible. Yeah. The other really great story that was relayed to me was there was a family that came to Knott's. They had planned the trip all year. Right before they came to the park, they lost their house. They were evicted from their house. They were foreclosed on. Oh. And instead of canceling the trip, they came out here. I think they stayed in a trailer and they stayed six weeks and they lived ghost town alive the entire summer. They reported that it was the most family bonding thing they had ever done in their lives. If you've ever been to ghost town alive on the last day, you know, Labor Day, Monday, or whenever it ends around that week, they always have some big event that sets in motion the story for the next year. And if you look around, it looks like summer camp is ending. People are crying. They're oh. elated that they were part of it. They're sad to see it go and saying goodbye to people. And like, for a moment, it feels real. How can you, again, how can you predict something like that? Right. It's really, really amazing. Really. So, it's, it's a wow. really special thing to be a part of. And like I said, I'm just a small part of it. Wow. But like you With, said, in the planning meetings, you were the one of the people that was kind of looking at things positively. Like I want to experience this. I can't wait to, we got to do this. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. Oh, yeah, and look no. at how great it is. Yeah. One of my missions in life is to push the envelope of what people expect to make it more immersive, to make it, how can we make it more real? You know, I talked about that plant that we had in Trap, that girl. Uh, yeah. There were times when if the line got too long, I would grab one of those actresses and we would walk through the lobby of the attraction while she cried. And I would say, we'll find your boyfriend. I know he's in there somewhere. <laughs> and people would just, their eyes would get really big, like what's going on in there? And I wanted just a little bit of chaos, controlled chaos. Is it real? Is it not? You know, I've, I, my hero, one of my heroes growing up was Willy Wonka, Gene Wilder. You always looked at him like, this guy's gonna, gonna get killed, but is he right. in control or is he not? And if I can just have 1% of that in my real life, then I've won. Yeah, basically blurring the lines between reality and fiction. And, and yeah, that's awesome. I love it. I love that kind of that edge that you got there. So um, one last question, and this is, Purely for personal reasons on Ghost Town Alive. So is Ghost Town Alive only, it's only going on in the summer? Is that how it works? Yeah, Ghost Town Alive is our summer event. We, we didn't do it last year. We didn't do it this year because of the pandemic, but I'm hoping it's it's back next year. Okay, so I won't get to do it this year, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I plan to, not, Knott's is one of my favorite parks. I, it's not like I'm only going to hopefully go this year if I can make it this year. Well, if you, gonna, if yeah, you come yeah. this year, I'll make you deliver letters and you can, oh. you know, I'll, I'll make you do all kinds of tasks. Deal, deal. I'll do oh, you, yeah. so do, <laughs> help you with your job, probably. Yeah, you oh, go, yeah. Kind yeah. of, you'll talk me into feeling like I'm being immersed, but I'm really just helping you get things done. I got it. Mm -hmm. Got it. It's like, okay. Tom, like Tom Sawyer in the fence, like Huck Finn. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. So, Ghost Town Alive, again, has been very well received. It's been going on for a few years now, and it's an example of high, high level of storytelling and immersion at Knott's. And, and again, to your point, a lot of us who've been to Galaxy's Edge, you know, it's fun. But when the Ronto Wrap was one of my favorite things, at least until Rise of the Resistance opened there, and the Ronto Wrap <laughs> is, is legit, 
it says something. And again, it's a beautiful, they're beautiful lands, but I don't feel other than the attractions, I don't feel like I'm in the Star Wars universe there. Now I'm in a Diagon Alley when I'm in Hogsmeade, I'm looking for Harry around the corner. Yeah. You know, Disney. Now the good news is, is that this isn't the, oh, the rides are awful. This isn't, oh, the, the, the theme, the land does it, it, it looks cheap. It's a problem that they can fix, you know, where it's not an industrial challenge. They don't have to rebuild things. They've got to put characters in. They've got to maybe do some interactive things. So I'm hopeful that they will be able to improve things. And there's a lot of rumors about what they're going to do and the Mandalorian and this and that. Who cares if the timeline's off? It's a theme park. Get over it, people. It's fine. Suspend disbelief. That's what theme parks are all about. But anyway, so I'm, I'm hopeful they'll improve that. But yeah, to your point, your um, friendly, quote unquote, competition neighbors, quote unquote, across the street there. Uh, over in Anaheim from Buena Park, you know, they could learn a few things from Ghost Town Alive, absolutely. Well, you yeah. know, again, if you go back and watch the D23 presentation, the stuff they promise is amazing. They promise, like, you're going to go into the cantina and get a drink, and then somebody's going to come up to you and go, look, can you deliver this to the resistance? Here's a here's a little communication. And then you're going to go out back and there's going to be a back alley where these guys are looking for, I mean, they promise so much. And unfortunately, logistically, I get why they can't do it. There's just too many people running through. Right. I totally get it. Right. Uh, but it is rough that it's not there, you know? It's- yeah. It's, and, you know, and I'm with, right there with you. I, I'm, again, but- I've been to conventions before. I've been to one D23 when I lived in California and I really got to Disney in the, in the, in the later from like 2016 and, and beyond. And ever since, I really got to Disney. So Ghost and Alive shows the tremendous creativity and industry leading capabilities of the, of you and everyone else at knots in your storytelling and in your immersion. That is far, far from the first time that knots has been an industry leader. I am, besides being a fan of coasters, besides being a fan of theme parks in general, dark rides and water rides and drop towers and all those kinds of fun things and the shows, the first theme park haunt that I ever went to where I was wow, beyond all belief and felt the immersion and felt like, okay, yeah, I've been to this theme park before because it's in a theme park, but it's like, this is not that theme park anymore. Between the mist effects, the fog, the lighting, the sound, the music. And that was Not Scary Farm in 2001. I, I call haunts that are well done, like a Not Scary Farm or a Halloween Horror Nights Universal, super immersion. It's not just, oh, okay, yeah, I feel like I'm in Star Wars or this or that. You, It's a whole experience that's just this upon this upon this upon this. I'm a huge fan of Not Scary Farm. I've gone many times. Jeff, I know part of what you do and the reason why we're talking, we're going to be talking a lot about haunts here for the last part of this interview is because, you know, releasing this interview here in our haunt season, our inaugural haunt season for the Coaster Challenge podcast. And I just I want to, I got to talk to you about this stuff. I know you're a big fan, you're a big creator, of course, and an artist. Tell us the process, just the general process of how it works of creating a theme park haunt attraction, you know, like, for example, like a maze. Well, I can only speak to what I've worked on. And that was when I worked on Trapped. That's my big maze contribution because I'm not a maze designer. Okay, uh, sure, guys, sure. Those guys have a set of skills I don't even, couldn't even dream of possessing. It's very, <laughs> I mean, it sounds exciting and glamorous, but it's actually very tedious and very exacting. Oh, I can uh, imagine. Yeah. But I have contributed a lot of ideas over the years. When I talk about Trapped, we, uh, me and this guy, Gus, who worked uh, together on year three, we talk about, we, we did a whole presentation at a convention. I remember in the early 2000s, 2005 or six, I was reading an article in the, in the, in the paper and it was about this Halloween attraction in New York. And it was a Halloween attraction for adults 
where you went in and it was like a guided tour and the rooms were all very specific and they each had a scene in them that was disturbing. The stuff they were describing was not anything I was interested in, but I did like the concept of small groups. And one of the concerns we've gotten over the years at Scary Farm is, well, it's not scary because we're in a conga line and I can see five people up, somebody getting scared. They've always tried to balance the metering of the mazes. And I said, well, what if we just went the complete other way and said, if a group goes in, you don't see any other groups ever. You have to go in a room and it closes and whatever happens in that room happens and then you get to move on to the next one. For years, they said, it's never going to work. Stop. No one's ever going to pay extra after they pay for their ticket. And I just kept beating the drum. I'd always raise my hand. They go, oh, there's Tucker with his stupid idea. again. <laughs> and then and then finally for the 40th, we were asked, what are the crazy ideas? Because we need to do something unique. And I was like, I'm going to pitch it again. And that's when they said, let's see how far we can take it. That was when we said, look, okay, great. Let's do stuff we could never do in a regular scary farm attraction. And that's you know, make you eat something, make you figure out a puzzle, make you watch a disturbing scene that you don't get out of scene ends. And that's where Trap sort of was born, this crazy idea of what if, see, I'm the entertainment guy. What if we didn't do a show in this venue and instead we put a maze in this venue, but all the actors that we would have hired for that show are now in the maze. Right. They're doing a specific thing. And that's where it all sort of meshed together into this bizarre new type of attraction. By year three, we had perfected it and Gus did some of his best work on it. I did my best work on it. And it was completely immersive. And we learned all these lessons in it of if you go in a maze where they tell you, well, the house is haunted and it's full of ghosts. Then like, oh, I can't wait to see some ghosts in that. Trap didn't get any of that. Trapped had to be almost real world danger things that are really going to hurt you in this thing. It's not supernatural in any way. So it caused everybody to think of new ways. Some of the stuff that they let us get away with, even I was shocked. Somebody in the room had an idea for the finale because I wanted to do something really special for the finale. He said, well, why don't we hang everybody? And I said, well, they're never going to let us do that. There just aren't. When that attraction opened, the finale was you got to pull the lever and hang the, the plant lady we were talking about who was walking through the maze alone. Yeah. You pulled the lever and killed her and the curtain opened and now there was enough nooses for everybody in your party. So everybody got stood up at a rail, a black sack over their head, a noose over their neck, the music built and the floor dropped. It was astounding. We had people wet themselves. We had people run in terror. It was really, really, I was really amazing. Absolutely. That is incredible. I, I so regret that I never got to experience that. I just wasn't going to Knott's Scary Farm those years because of where I was in my life and where I was living and whatnot. I, wow. Again, I love immersion. I have done, I've explored out and done more haunts in recent years as I've gotten more and more into the theme park side of things where I'm actually even not, I don't work in the industry, but I cover the industry much more than I used to. And now with this podcast and our YouTube channel before it. And I've gone to more independent haunts like Streamageddon out here in uh, not too far from Orlando, out towards Bush Gardens, Tampa, where the independent haunts tend to be edgier, where they at least you have the option, you have to wear a necklace or something where it lets the people know when you're going through the maze. And I did opt in for this immersion where they can touch you. And they, they, there's this one maze they have there, which is like a jail. But it's like a medieval jail and they can they the actors will throw you in jail and make you do things 
like you talked about earlier, you're going to make me take letters from one place to another, Jeff, while they, mm-hmm. you know, made you do things in the jail cell. And I love that level of immersion. There was another one where they would put you in body bags. It was like a, you know, like a, a virus theme sort of thing, like your spec ops, your special ops infected kind of theme mazes with that sort of horror, if you will, like a like walking dead kind of thing. And they would put you in body bags and, and zip you up and you know, for a few minutes or whatnot. I love that kind of edgy where like, we you know, we're actually interacting with a guest because normally in mazes, nothing, no one's touching anything. Yeah. You don't touch these characters. They don't touch you. And so you've got props and people. So I, sadly, I can imagine as we are still, we're hopefully in the sunsetting of this pandemic now with the vaccines and science works and everything like that, which is great. But still, you know, the Delta variant's going on and who knows where we're going to be, you know, and all that. But so sadly, you know, having people touching props, that's a no-no right now. Yeah, of course. But maybe eventually we can get back to that. I would love to experience something like that. And brilliant combining an escape room and a haunt maze into one. So that was your idea? Yeah, that was my idea. That yeah. was That's incredible. My, I tip my hat to you. That's absolutely brilliant. The first one was nine years ago. Like this right. is 2012. That's uh, it insane. Was a, it was a different world back then. And we right. had to come up with all of these. There's a guy I had, I just idolized. You ever heard of William Castle? Yeah, yeah. Well, who is that? I, that William Castle made some of the worst B movies ever made. But oh, he, okay. he added things to the theatrical experience that made the movie better, even though the movies are terrible. For, for one of his movies, he had an ambulance in the lobby with a nurse sitting in it. Oh, so if somebody okay. had a heart attack. Yeah, uh, I've heard of this. He did the yes. Tingler, where the seat would vibrate. He did House on Haunted Hill, where skeletons would be flown through the audience. <laughs> they did, did a movie about him called Matinee with John Goodman, by, directed yes. by Joe Dante. Yes. So I love all of the theatrics about it. So when we did Trapped, I said, look, I, I if we're going to steal, again, steal from the best, William Castle. So Trapped had a waiver that you had to sign to go in. Of course. You know, we were the first person to do that. And it's funny because if you read the waiver, it was the verbiage of the waiver to go into Wonka's factory. Like it was all right. just, it was all silly. But the waiver made people sit up and notice like, oh, this is hardcore. And then it'd be hard to do now. But back in 2012, we said, you can't bring your cell phone out. If you bring your cell phone out, you're out. And there's no pictures, no footage, no video cameras. And if you go through, try not to tell anybody. And that's the really infancy of social media. Whenever somebody would ask on social media, the answer they got was, hey, I'm in a club. And the club is we paid for it. If you want to know what's in there, you go pay for it. Now, I don't think you get away with any of that. Yeah, that's sad. Yeah, I I get it. I totally agree with you, though. The waiver, it had all that kind of nonsensical stuff. But was there was it just showmanship or was there a reason to have people sign the waiver as well? Was there some aspects of it? No, it was all fake. It was all fake. Oh, that's hilarious. I don't, that's great. No, I don't have any legal right to have you sign a waiver. Or, right, I was always shocked right. that people took it so seriously. Right. Yeah, no, right. it's, and, all, it's all fake. And how much was the upcharge for it? Uh, it was $60 for a party of wow. six. You know, so, oh, oh, for $60 total or per person? Total, no, total. Oh, that's, was, that's awesome. It had okay. to be enough that you wouldn't skip out on it because we were holding your space. But it right. had to be inexpensive enough that you wanted to go. How I assumed it would work out is on the opening weekend, you know, everybody would be sitting in their monster costumes, having a smoke break. And I'd walk in and go, Hey, somebody's here. Let's turn everything on. And instead (laughs) that Thursday, I went and spoke to somebody and they said, Oh no, Jeff, you're sold out for the weekend. Every spot. And I said, 
uh, you guys got to, you can't do that. We don't know what we're doing yet. You can't be sold out. Oh my gosh. Oh, crazy. And there was a surprising number of people who paid this $60 to go through a loan. Oh, so people could do that. They could uh, sure. have the option of going to, oh, that it's would be 60 bucks. And whatever you do with that slot, either one or six is up to you. Oh, that's wow. how it worked. Because I love escape rooms. I've done those. We have some great yeah. ones here in Florida, like Escapeology. Wow. Yeah. That's, See, it, it wasn't yeah. really an escape room. It was more of a solo group experience, if that makes sense. There right, were, right. There were tasks to do in the rooms, but there was no way for you in the room to complete a task and get out before we decided you needed to get out, if that makes right, sense. Right, right. No, I get it. I get it. It's not like a, like a full-on like yeah, no. puzzle thing. But it sort of has some of those elements where you're in a room it, and a small group. But it felt group. like that, yeah. Because yeah. year, year yeah. three had, you had to have a set of keys and some of the keys worked on some things. They didn't work on other things. And there was a lot of red herrings. There were locked doors that looked like they led somewhere. So people would go through multiple times trying to change the outcome, even huh. though it was all an illusion. Wow, that's insane. I, that's, that's so incredible what you guys did. Wow. So, but you're not scary farm. If I haven't sold it to our audience, for those who have not been yet, I don't know what else I can do. I'm sure well, you're going to help, but. <laughs> if I could so, just piggyback on something yeah. you said, not scary farm is not family friendly. It is for yeah. adults. Somebody asked on a Facebook page just yesterday, is it, is it okay to bring an eight-year-old? And I said, nothing says I love you like a lifetime of therapy. Yeah, it, <laughs> it's not for children. If anybody's ever asked me about it, I go, look, Knott's Berry Farm is a family tradition since the 1920s here in Buena Park. Knott's Scary Farm is for adults. I don't see anything wrong with saying there's an event that's for older kids and adults and not really for children. You know, when yeah. I see a stroller at Knott's at Scary Farm, I just go, oh, what are you, what are you doing? Why you got a stroller right. here? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. Thank you. And again, you, you obviously know a lot more details about not scary from I'm just occasional guest. So I appreciate you kind of sharing color on that. Well, yeah, um, sure. I, we're trying to scare the, the daylights out of you. And that may involve things that are, I mean, it's gruesome, gruesome stuff in there and it's not really for kids. It's just not. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. And I, I appreciate that. And, and certainly, yeah. So that's where universal is kind of more family friendly and there's a good, there's a room for that, of course. So Jeff, in terms of what you get more involved with in at not scary farm, uh, you know, you're more of a show person. So like, for example, do you, are you involved with the hanging? Yeah. Yeah. I, I was one of the writers on the hanging for 12 years. <laughs> okay. So yeah. I, 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 I'll talk about the hanging for a little bit here. So um, 2017, I got to see the hanging for the first time. And for those, for audience, those that aren't familiar with what the hanging is, it's basically a horror comedy show and it's not a maze. And it's basically one way to describe well, it is, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, you can use past tense. It was a show. It was. It's not. Yeah, right, right. It doesn't exist anymore. So it was. But what it's great about, and if you could, if those of our audience who've been to Universal, the Bill and Ted's show, you could think yeah. of it sort of like that. So the hanging basically, it pans and it and it does satire of the, the past year's events. Like there's politics in it. You know, for example, 2017, President Trump was in it and Hillary Clinton. And I love that you guys... We'll, we'll go after things like that, which for a lot of media now, they don't go near stuff. You know, you can't make fun of certain things. You can't, you don't talk about this. You don't talk about that. And I loved how edgy that show was, especially in its time. 
Oh, so, I agree. Uh, yeah. Some, some of the most fun I've ever had was sitting in on writing sessions for that show because the people who put it together were some of the funniest people I've ever worked with. It, it's a shame that society has reached a point where the people just don't have a sense of humor anymore. Yeah, I couldn't agree with don't. you more. And that's, yeah, and that's why that you know? showed yeah. And that's, so even back then, and this was only, when was the last hanging? Was it 2017 or after that? Uh, 2019 was the last hanging. It's 2019, okay, yeah. okay. The, yeah, the so hanging, it's a shame. The hanging yeah. in 2019 ended with Jeffrey Epstein uh-huh. lecturing, lecturing the audience on being able to take a joke and then hanging himself. So uh, that's, that's that's it. That's all, folks. It's over. Right. There's nowhere right. to go after that. Yeah. And see, this is uh, what well, I love about you, Jeff, is again, we relate to each other because, you know, all these movies we're fans of and, mm-hmm. and a horror movie and on cinema and storytelling. But you also have a great sense of humor. I mean, you've, it's been displayed throughout this interview and I love it. And you see how I responded to it. And again, I love comedy. I, I'm the kind of person I don't offend easily. But unfortunately, the world we live in now, you know, it's, it's the majority that kind of leads kind of leads the way. And unfortunately, a lot of people, they don't they don't take jokes like they used to. And I wish that would be different. And if that could be perhaps another mission of this podcast to kind of let people start laughing again, because laughing is good for you. It's one of the best things for you. But my again, I tip of my hat again to you and your team at, at, at Not Scary Farm there. Where even up to just two years ago, you were doing that edgy comedy because a lot of media comedians, even stand-up comedians, have given up on that long before that. Right. So, well, the, the hanging was picketed and tried to be censored from day one. When it was a, yeah. when it was just a scary witch hanging in Calico Square, the yeah. local witches complained. Uh, now, are, okay, are you joking or I mean, what are you? No, I'm I'm totally serious. Oh, okay. So okay. The, the show was changed to a gypsy hanging. Oh, when you and say then, the local witches, you mean like Wiccan, like things yeah, like uh-huh. that? Oh. Yeah. So then oh. the gypsies complained. Oh, my God. So then the show went away for a few years. And when it came back, it was a parody show so that nobody got offended because everybody was offended. And it ran for years and years like that. And it was the yeah. edgiest, craziest thing ever. And then a combination of political correctness, people losing their sense of humor, those horrible movies that were convinced cribbed from us, those disaster movie, epic movie, date right. movie, used a lot of our jokes. Where do you go? Where do you go? Again, when Jeffrey Epstein is giving you a lecture, we're, we're done. We're out. Right. Peace out, homie. Right. Well, it, it was great while it lasted. And it sure again, as hell I, was. Yeah. Are you yeah. I, I was, I mean, again, I, I, again, I don't offend. But I know the world we live in. So when I saw the hanging just that one time in 2017, I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. These guys are doing this. this you can still you can still do this legally. Yeah, I feel like I'm in the 80s to the 90s again. Yeah. Oh, my God. So cool. Yeah. So great. Great. Again, going thinking back to the mission of this podcast, what would you say? You know, you're a storyteller. You're involved with creating these haunts. What would you say the role is in theme park haunts and helping people face their fears? You know, it's funny. I've had this question on other shows, so I always give the same answer, and it's an easy answer. Sure. There are very few things in life that we're all going to experience. Not everybody's going to get married. Not everybody's going to have kids, but we're all going to die. Everybody is going to face death at some point. So right. being able to face it with friends and conquer it 
and laugh at it in a couple of minutes or walk through a maze is very therapeutic. It is essential. It is why people sat around campfires a thousand years ago, retelling stories of near-death experiences and scaring people with ghost stories because it is the one thing we're all going to have to face. And it's the one thing that scares all of us. So we take a little slice of it and enjoy it. That's a very interesting perspective. I never thought about things that way. Because again, I love haunts, but yeah, again, there's the two things that are all, always this definitely firmly going to happen in life or death and taxes, as the mm-hmm. saying goes. And, you know, we're not talking about taxes. We, we want to be fun in this podcast, somewhat fun. So, but we talk, you know, so as far as death goes, again, every, you know, everyone death you, is, is going to happen. Imagine a, uh, yeah, yeah. a tax themed walkthrough. Maze. I, I was thinking about that as I was thinking, yeah. <laughs> you didn't Scary. carry the one. Oh. <laughs> Talk about scary. I mean, there. Hey, I might have given you your next idea right there. I no, know. <laughs> so yeah, but yeah. So but yeah, certainly death. It's something to to face it in a it, together in a fun, safe environment, and where you can kind of like, okay, yeah, I'm actually going to die. It sucks, but okay, we can kind of be fun about this and just yeah. kind of cathartic about it. So that that's interesting. That's interesting. I might have cribbed that from Wes Craven, so I don't remember. Oh, a brilliant storyteller right there. Love his films. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's made rest in peace. Yeah. How do you find balance when you're creating a theme park haunt attraction to get just the right amount of scary in? Again, and now again, for Not Scary Farm, it's right there in the name. Again, you guys are one of the edgiest, especially of the the mainstream haunts. So how do you get that balance? I, I don't think you worry about the balance. I think you just worry about is the story good? Is it scary? Uh, there used there was a point in the late 90s, early 2000s where marketing was very into having 13 mazes. There had to be 13 mazes because 13 is a scary number and we got to have 13 mazes. <laughs> so what came out of that was you'd have the majority of them were scary. There were some that were outright horror. And then we used to do mazes that were actually humorous. We've done a few humorous mazes over the years to try to like what you're talking about, balance. Right. They never work. People hate them. People want to rip the walls out. They hate them. I don't think you worry about the balance. I think you just worry about, are we telling the right story? Are people walking through and getting what the story is? And certainly with some of the mazes we've done the last few years, Origins, The Depths, Dark Entities, these have really involved stories that encourage you to leave get back in line and do it again. Oh, interesting to experience it. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, again, you guys, you, you're you all about creating your own original ideas for these yeah. haunts. So you guys are amazing at it. I remember when I did the last, that's not Scary Farm, 2017, I did the the Mice Chat event. And we remember we toured the Red Barn. It was one of the, you know, yeah. back behind the scenes and hearing all the backstory of that. And oh yeah, that's that's fantastic. So yeah, so given that Not Scary Farm is edgy and you guys don't shy away from scaring people, you don't necessarily worry about, you just want to, you want to focus on making the high quality experience a good story and immersive, but not, you know, okay, interesting. That makes sense. That makes sense. You've been working, you've been involved with Not Scary Farm. Has it been since 94, since you started with Knots, or how long have you been involved with that part of things? Well, 94 and 95, I actually work the event in different capacities. And then in 96, I, I took a backstage role of teaching the monsters and looking at the monsters. So it began in 96, so 25 years. Okay, okay, wow, okay. Maybe share with our audience and myself here a couple of your favorite Not Scary Farm moments over the years. 
there've been so many. I know, of course. Yeah. They're so rich watching people slide for the first time on the streets. Oh, watching sliding take over the whole industry. I mean, that's amazing, right? That a, a bunch of guys invented this, this what's now become almost a extreme sport. It's crazy. Those sliders are now for, for our audience with the, what we're talking about, these, these sliders, they wear these like knee pads with metal on them, right? Metal, right? urethane. Yeah. Urethane. And they, and they run and then they slide like, like almost like, you know, sliding, you know, and, and like baseball or something, but on their, on their knees and they make these sparks happen right in front of people with, and they make this yeah. noise with these sliders. Yeah. It, it's I, a very, yeah. I can tell you one of my absolute favorite moments over the years, and that's I was with Doug and company for season pass, and we were going to watch Possessed in the Mystery Lodge Theater. Now, I had seen, I, you know, I monitored Possessed quite a bit because, you know, you want to make sure the show's at its top. You could tell people's emotions when they walked in. I turned to Doug and I said, you see that guy right there? sitting there in the middle of the row, he's going to have a problem. I can, I can tell. I can just tell. And Doug was like, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, sure. In the show, the ghost ends up killing everybody on stage. And then the ghost turns and looks at the audience and says, now I want to play with all of you. And that guy stood up and he said, you ain't playing with me. And he ran out. <laughs> Doug looked at me and he said, oh, my God. How did you do that? I said, you can just tell. And the best part about this whole thing, there's a podcast and a YouTube channel called Parks and Cons. They go to all the events, Sean and Carmel, they're great people. They recorded that episode and you can watch it on YouTube and you can hear the guy at the end go, you ain't playing with me. And then he runs out. You can almost hear the Fred Flintstone as his feet go. Oh, wow. That's insane. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah. And then there's there's a million moments in Trapped. You know, I talked about almost being fired. There was, a, at the beginning of Trapped, we put people in a, a waiting room with couches and magazines, and we wrote messages in the, in the magazines thinking people would, would think they were puzzles while they waited. They weren't. Right. But <laughs> about three days in, I realized there was a telephone on the wall used that was used by the ushers to talk from front of house to back of house. I had the door removed from the little phone box and I would sit in the stand in the control room and I would call the lobby. And I, would, <laughs> I would let the phone ring forever until one of the guests would answer. Right. Go, Hello. And I'd go, hi, like the guy from Scream. Hi, you've won a prize. <laughs> What did I win? I go, you get to decide who dies first. Point them out. They, some people would do it and someone won't. And they'd go, well, I guess them. And I go, oh, the one in the red shirt? You got it. When we kill her, we're going to let her know that it was your fault. And I kid you not, we had people, the way you got out of trapped, if you weren't having a good time, you said boysenberry. We had a safe word. People would boysenberry out in that room before they even got to the maze. I would immediately, you know, in my shirt and tie, run in and go, hi, folks, are you really saying boys are Because, you know, you don't, we're not going to take it here. Why don't you wait until you get in the maze? And some people were like, you know, when the cowardly lion just runs from the wizard. Yeah. Out the, we had people do that. That was so much fun. Oh, oh yeah. God, was it fun. I love that misdirection and that, again, that higher level of immersion too, yeah. that you kind of talk about some of those stories. But so for that boys and burying out, that safe word out, yeah. do you have an estimate, like, you know, just roughly speaking in the several years of, of trap, of what percentage of a guess at some point 
in Trapped actually did Boysenberry out? Well, what, again, William Castle, when I came up with it, I said, well, nobody's going to use it. Who would pay $60 right. and then and then want to end the experience? Are they, They'd be crazy. Uh, it was about 10%. I mean, it was a pretty high really? number. We used wow. to keep a running tab of how many people Boysenberry'd out and right. we compared notes. We were very into it. There were... Boys and berries because it was too stressful, you know, having to drink. Uh, you had to eat a bug and then drink warm buttermilk. I mean, it was not pleasant. One Are of these the real bugs? Is this kind of like a fear factor thing? Yeah, it was real here? bugs. Yeah, real oh, crickets. Wow. One of the rooms was a guy with jars of urine, and then he would make you drink warm apple cider with salt in it. So, it, I mean, it was pretty much urine. Oh, wow. And this is intense. People would lose their minds. The hanging part, re- I mean, people, like I said, they actually wet themselves and had to boysenberry out. My absolute favorite was people would get to the part with the dominatrix. And if the boyfriend was having too good a time, the girlfriend would say boysenberry. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I would do everything That's in my power great. to say, no, no, you don't have to leave. We understand what you're doing, but it's so much more fun inside. Why don't you wait till you go inside? And some did and some didn't. Cause I go, there's no refunds. Wow. I, I, man, I, I hope that you guys can do something like this again. I know the world yeah. we live in. Certainly. And, you know, I talked about earlier how I'm hoping to be able to go to Not Scary Farm in September if things line up. Is there anything, I know it's a little early here, but is there anything you can share about what Not Scary Farm fans have in store for 2021 with it, with it returning? Nothing? I can't say a word. Okay, your lips it's, are sealed. I'm okay. so, I, all I can say is I'm so excited for what we're doing this year and what I'm doing. I'm so ready to unveil to the world, but it's too early. I can't talk about it. Okay, awesome. But it's something, <laughs> is, is it, okay, can you say this without not saying what it is? Is it something where it's like a creativity thing where it's something different and new? Oh, I'm pushing the envelope again. I awesome. Can't wait. I can't uh, wait. I gotta I, go. It's not, I, I, it's not, I, I, I'm always very clear, especially on social media, trapped is not coming back. We're not at that level to come back, but what right. I have come up with, I think is pretty, what it is, is pretty cool. And I, I'm okay. just excited to be doing it. I'm excited. I know. And I'm excited to be working soon. with very talented people. Oh, nice. That's awesome. I know. I, yeah. I know there's some announcements that are coming here very soon here yeah. as yeah. we're recording. Yeah. That's You'll awesome. You'll know exactly what it is when it's revealed. You go, Oh, yeah, that's okay. What about. Awesome. Awesome. You know, we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, like special ops infected with actually having laser tag as part of a haunt maze where the guests are immersed. You know, talked about the Gantam lighting flashlights through that technology. Obviously, Knott's, you guys do a great job of incorporating, you know, new technology. You're, you're keeping things fresh. You update old mazes like Trick or Treat Lights Out with those flashlights. That was an older maze you guys were able to bring back to life in an amazing way. Obviously, technology plays a role in creativity and so forth. Is there any thoughts that you have? You know, we now have like, granted, again, thinking post-pandemic because of contact and whatnot, but, you know, with VR technology, AR technology, do you see anything happening with that or something else say in the next five to 10 years where we're going to see some nice advancements with, with haunts? Yeah, I think you're already starting to see it, but it'll get better. And that's video mapping where you can change the room while somebody's in it. You can make it immersive in ways that we've never had before. I think that's going to be a real game changer. I know a lot of the play, a lot of the cons are using smells and I've seen things that you touch and they shock you. I'm not really into that kind of stuff, but I think that immersive stuff, like, like I said, video mapping, I've always wanted to figure out a way to call people on their phones and make them part of something that makes them really question reality. 
I know that um, there was one in LA that did it a couple of years back where they called you on the phone and had you go to a certain spot. So I think there's something to be had in all that. There's something there. I'm not sure exactly what it'll be. We're all along for the ride, you know? And the other thing is like, if you've seen area 51, Las Vegas, I think I called area 51, area 15. The one in Vegas is by the meow. What's meow world. Meow, meow wolf, which is very creative. Yeah, meow wolf, yeah. Like, so it's not, it's non-linear. You just walk through and what you experience, you experience. I think there's something to that, that too. Eventually. Oh, sure. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. I, I love, I love the sounds of that. And yeah, that's very encouraging. Yeah. Wow. Um, kind of the last main question I have, just given what we talked about here, talk about how haunts help people face fears and face the ultimate fear in life, which is death and whatnot. Do you have any advice for people that are listening that are trying to make their lives better by incorporating theme parks? Any, any thoughts? The, the advice I would give is spend less time on social media and more time doing something that makes you feel good. Because I see so many people in the parks who just stare at their phones all day. There's an old yeah. sign that you've seen on, on, in memes that says, where will you be staring at your phone today? Uh, you know, it's funny that I would say in the future, we might be calling people on their phones or that sort of thing, but <laughs> there needs to be a real disconnect so that you people are actually in the moment. You don't realize how quickly those moments go. And no one, nobody on their deathbed is going to say, boy, I wish I'd spent more time on Twitter. No one's ever going to say that. <laughs> no, so, absolutely not. <laughs> you know, put your, put your phone down and look up once in a while and see some of the amazing things that, that, that are waiting for you. And, and also remember, I grew up in the 80s. Getting, into a, getting into a long queue was part of the experience. It was how you bonded with your friends. And you talked about, oh, we're excited to go on the ride. And I can't wait to go on the ride. And now we're on the ride. And as you go, look now, everybody just stares at phones all day. And it's, it's yeah. you know, and I get that I'm old and that's not my thing. <laughs> you know, I always right. say in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. And I'm the guy who doesn't stare at his phone and looks around like, oh, I'm noticing all these things. And that would, I'm just an old fool. What do I know? No, I, I <laughs> thank you, Jeff. No, that that you have some that's great advice there. That's not advice that people have shared before. Again, when I when we ask this question, we usually get a new thing each time. Mm -hmm. And that's about being in the moment. And for yeah. example, when you're at a park, for example, which is what we're talking about here, at a haunt, at a, at a theme park, at a, at a going to on a ride and a queue for a ride, waiting for a show to start, whatever it may be. Yeah, if you're on your phone, you're not enjoying what you're seeing, you're not yeah. enjoying the theming of the queue or talking to your friends, getting excited about the ride or you know, it's just the social thing. And yeah, be in the moment. Enjoy where you're at. Get Really get the most out of that immersion because it's healthy for you. It's fun. It's good for you. So I love that advice, Jeff. Thank you. Yeah, stay off your phones <laughs> somewhat at least. So last thing here, Jeff, I'd like to give you the opportunity again. I know you work for Knots and I know you have your own podcast. So if you want, like to share, however uh, people can, can find and connect with you or hear more from you, again, like your podcast, if you have a website, yeah. YouTube social media, whatever you'd sure. like to share. Thank well, you. I'm not, I'm actually not on much. I'm on Facebook. That's the only social media that I do. I don't, I don't have time for the other social media. I don't find it interesting. Getting into arguments with people is not how I want to spend my day. Read. <laughs> I, I, do, I do a podcast. It's called 91 Reasons. You can pick it up pretty much anywhere you get a podcast. Uh, I have a fun YouTube channel where I put up videos of my family doing stuff. It's called Tucker Time. You can find that on YouTube. They're not terribly exciting, but they are fun to watch. I, I write books, so if you want to go on Amazon, I have a book series called The Sixth Key, which is about magicians. And if you found any of that Back to the Future stuff interesting, interesting, I did write Your Friend in Time, How Back to the Future Changed My Life. And that's that's my stuff. 
Wow. Well, you've given me some things I want to check out now. Thank you so much, Jeff. Wow. Wow. Well, thank you so much for your time. I know this was a long interview. It was really fun <laughs> for me. I hope it was fun for you. A lot of fun. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. Well, we, um, I certainly, for one, look forward to what Not Scary Farm has in store and just getting back to Not Scary Farm after not being there for four years myself, hopefully this September, and seeing what you and your and the rest of the team there at Knott's has got cooked up. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Come see me in the fog. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Jeff. That was a really incredible story, huh, Jen? Yeah, it was. Yeah. I will tell you that I was really shocked that Jeff is a huge Back to the Future fan. I am as well. And at least he got to walk the back lot of Universal to see all those sets back today. I, I've been over when Universal when they were filming Back to the Future Part 2, and I actually got to see how Hill Valley looked like in the future of 2015. And I wish they still had that to this day. Universal still has the clock tower, although it all burnt down in the fire many years ago, but they still rebuilt everything but it's a tad different now than it was then oh yeah there but it seems like they they have a fire on their back lot i don't know every five years it yeah. seems like and because everything's 10? made of styrofoam and all kinds of materials it burns so quickly <laughs> so right. uh, but you know he did it i will say the fact that jeff was so involved with not scary farm in fact it was amazing that he got a job there he was looking at it as a summer gig like something just fun to do for a while till he found something better and now all of a sudden almost 30 years later he's still there and he's practically helped directing a lot of the activities that go on with not scary farm i think it's really cool i i just i love the the story of the kid that had autism and with the whole doing the letters and having that interaction for that town for the ghost town area i think that was really awesome yeah i mean that is very touching especially seeing how i've worked with grown adults that had autism and all these just different disabilities i think that is really awesome i think that's really cool what he mentioned too like stuff like that can really help people with disabilities just like how roller coasters have helped me with my tourettes and helping break my fears events like this at the theme parks really are good therapy for all those that have have disabilities like myself and like what other people have. I think it's a really incredible thing and like I said I want to take this opportunity to thank Jeff for really coming on uh, to help us kick off our Halloween edition season. But until then guys, thank you so much and also Justin, where can they find us on social media? If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And if you want to see more from us, we upload every Friday. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all at Coaster Challenge. Links in the description. Thank you, Justin. Yeah, guys, make sure to hit that subscribe button and make sure to follow us on all our social media platforms. We really appreciate your guys' love and support out there. And we want to give a shout out to all our international listeners as well. I really want to thank all you guys for taking the time to show us some love and support out there. And we want you to know that we do see you out there listening and we do appreciate your love and support. Support. But until then, this is David Cantu. This is Jenna Gazelle. And we'll see you all next week with a special edition of Coaster Challenge Podcast.